Good evening, evening, dear listeners. It is Tuesday, June 25th, and welcome to Eye on the Triangle. I'm Andrew Eichen. And I'm DeAndre Jones, and we thank you for tuning in. Tonight, we've got a bunch of great and highly topical stories for you all. Andrew had a great interview with an NC State alum turned astronaut. Maybe some holidays of the week? We aren't really sure yet. And DeAndre covered the resignation of Matt Williams, as well as spotlighting the nonprofit program here at State. But before all that, we have the weather brought to you by DeAndre. All right, guys, so today our high was 88, low 72. Uh, we're looking at a flash flood warning until about 9.15 tonight, so be, so be careful about that. Things are looking to get a little bit messy here. Uh, Wednesday, we got a high of 87, low of 74 with a 30% chance of rain. Um, but if it does rain, it will be isolated thunderstorms, so, so be careful about that. Bring your umbrellas. Thursday, we have an 89-degree high, 72-degree low, 40% chance of rain, more thunderstorms in the, in the um, afternoon and nighttime. Friday, 90-degree high, 72-degree low, 50% chance of wane with more scattered thunderstorms, and this is pretty much repeating throughout the whole week. Saturday, 86-degree high, 73-degree low, more thunderstorms. Sunday looking pretty much exactly the same with an 82-degree high and more thunderstorms. Uh, Monday, (laughs) more thunderstorms, 84-degree high, 72-degree low, 60% chance of rain, and uh, that's the weather. President Obama announced today that he would pursue limits on pollution produced by coal-fired power plants, as well as withhold approval of the Keystone XL pipeline if the project increased greenhouse gas emissions. Comparing climate change deniers to members of the Flat Earth Society, the president said that for the sake of our children and the health and safety of all Americans, these measures had to be taken. An SA whistleblower, Edward Snowden, is still in transit area of the Moscow airport. Russian President Vladimir Putin said today. Snowden was expected to arrive in the Venezuelan capital of Caracas yesterday en route to Ecuador. Snowden had applied for asylum there, whose embassy in London is also giving asylum to WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. And in a 5-4 decision, the Supreme Court ruled that portions of the 1965 Voting Rights Act were no longer valid. The overruled sections required states and districts with a history of discrimination to seek federal permission to change their voter laws. The court ruled that this formula to be used to determine which states those were was outdated and unconstitutional. And that's the news. Last week, some very big changes took place on the student leadership front on our campus, leaving us with a new student body president and plenty of unanswered questions. DeAndre seeks to answer a few of those in this next story. Effective Wednesday, June 19th, Matthew Williams is no longer our student body president. Coming to the shock of many individuals of this university, Williams posted his official resignation letter on the Wolfpack Students' Facebook page at 4.22 p.m. that Wednesday. I think it is important that I reread this resignation letter on air to give Matthew his due respect. Quote, Members of the student body, I would like to start by thanking everyone who has supported me in my many roles here at the university, but most importantly, in the role as your student body president. It has been an honor to serve you all in these many roles and the mission of always making sure student voices are heard. You all are truly amazing individuals that make being a member of the Wolfpack so special, and it is what makes this so hard to say. Effective immediately, I'm resigning from the position of student body president of North Carolina State University. 
It has been a great couple of months, but unfortunately, after further consideration, I will not be able to focus on my academics and devote the amount of time the position warrants to be an effective voice for the student body. With this realization, it is best that I step down and allow someone to take over the role. To all those who voted and that I have let down, I do deeply apologize. But I hope you all can realize that the decision was only made after discussions with my family and advisors and is definitely weighing heavy on my heart. It is something I wish I did not have to do, but I feel it would be the best for students this upcoming year. To all the wonderful members of student government who I have worked with over the past couple of years, it has been an amazing ride and I look forward to seeing what you all are able to accomplish this coming year. As always, go pack. Matthew C. Williams, unquote. I think that the important thing to take from this story is the responsibility of leadership. Matt's reasoning for resigning are very sound, and I don't think that anyone will fault him for focusing on academics. However, where the fault lies is a lack of foresight. Students, when undertaking a leadership position, especially one with a budget and a stipend, please make sure that you yourself has the capacity to perform the responsibilities necessary to that position. If you lie to yourself and others about your workload and your ability to handle it, you will inevitably disappoint. The biggest question in everyone's minds after the resignation, besides why, was who? Who is going to take Matt's place in office? Interestingly enough, many immediately thought to Lauren Collier, second runner-up to Matt in the election. However, there already is a line of succession planned for the situation. Alex Parker, former student senate president, accepted the job of student body president officially through a Howe email to all students and staff of NC State. Student Senate President is next in line. In the email, he says, quote, Pursuant to the student body constitution, I, as the student senate president and executive vice president of the student body, will fill his position. I am excited and humbled for the opportunity to be your new student body president. You elected me to serve the student body and represent your voice, and I am excited that I am able to fulfill this expectation in my new role. The student body elected not only a great student leader in Matthew Williams, but also a vision that we wish to see this university follow. I am proud to say that I have been given the opportunity to champion this vision. His ideas and wishes for this university will carry on, and I will work hard to be a student leader he and you can be proud of. Unquote. Considering that we elected Matt for his policies, it's great that Alex will continue to perform those same policies. However, I think it's worth saying that we, as a student body, had no idea about the succession process. This is something that I think we should be made aware of, not just when electing a new SBP, but a new student senate president as well. For a little bit more insight into the situation, here is Alex Parker, the new student body president. Hey guys, I'm sitting here with Alex Parker, the new student body president, former student senate president. Uh, Alex, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, so we're going to just dive right into the questions. So how surprised were you that this opportunity arose? You could say I was very surprised. I um, am having summer school here, so taking classes. And just one day I got an email saying that all this had occurred and that we really needed to devise a strategy and what was best for student government and the students. And so it's been a very surprising couple of days. So what are your feelings going into this position that you didn't really run for? 
Well, this position is very interesting. Um, it's a great uh, opportunity um, to serve students and NC State, and that's really what I've had going in my mind and what I've been thinking about and reflecting on the past couple of days. That this is a great opportunity, and um, I've really come at it from that position, and that's really enabled me to think about what I need to do and um, hopefully serve the students well. So do you think that the student body is and will be understanding of Matt's resignation and his reasoning for it? Um, I think one of the things that Matt did great in his resignation was really addressing the issue, and that was that he's a student here at NC State, and we foster great students in this university, and him focusing on that is a great reason for him to step out of this role. And he really stepped out of this role for two reasons. One, to focus on himself as a student, and the second, to make sure that students were being represented by the best person possible. And I think those two motivations, both him being himself academically successful and having a real representation for the students and serving them well is a great reason. Right. And I think it's important to remember that, I mean, by doing this, it was the admirable thing to do. And he really, I mean, he, he did his job to the utmost in that sense and that he knew that if he wasn't the best person for the job, he was going to you know step down, which I think is really, really admirable. So what are your plans for your term as president? Well, that's something that I'm crafting right now. Um, this is probably hour 72 in the student body presidency, which is really <laughs> exciting. But I am uh, beginning to craft that vision for the university, which I'm really excited to do. And um, it's going to focus a lot on communication, um, communication within between the administration and the students, between students and student government, and then among students and themselves. Um, really fostering that collaboration, transparency, and advocacy in all those types of roles um, that we can really best represent students. And I remember on Matt's platform that he he advocated for a lot of transparency within the government. And that sort of leads into my next question is, are you just restricted to Matt's plan? Since, I mean, since that is why we elected him to, to his policies, um, or do you have a little bit of leeway to work with uh, work in things that you would be good for the presidency as well? Well, one of the great things that Matt did is that he assembled – a great staff and that staff really helped him create the platform that he ran on and I feel like his staff and his platform were one of the things that students voted for um, last spring when they elected him as student body president and I want to honor that commitment that they held to his ideas and his staff and so I've kept his staff on and we're really going to be working with um, his vision for this university and making concrete goals and plans that we can into the next year to really make sure that the student voice and their what they elected is heard throughout the year. Did you ever even consider it possible that you would become student body president in this manner? I know it's written in the Constitution, the student constitution, that you are the next in succession, but did you ever even imagine that this that it would end up actually coming to fruition? Uh, no, not at all. Um, I did not think that this would ever happen to me. Um, it definitely hasn't, it hasn't happened since 1983, I think, and so for it to happen in this manner is pretty surprising. And um, I'm just looking forward to this as an, in just treating it as an opportunity to help serve the students in the university. Do you see it as an opportunity to grow or is it some, do you feel sort of thrown into it? In the end, it was an opportunity that I took and I had a decision in taking. And so that's really made me believe that I can do it and that I'm really looking forward to all the challenges it creates because it's a growing opportunity. It's something that challenges you personally, but you can ultimately grow in. And so that's what I'm hoping to treat it as. If you were to offer one uh, message to the Wolfpack at this point, I know that you already sent out a how uh, sort of explaining things, but if you were to offer one message to the Wolfpack, uh, what would it be? I would say that through all the changes that has happened 
we just want the students to know that student government is committed to its mission of being the student's voice and representing them. And all the decisions that we've been making, including Matt's resignation, have been for the students and to really uphold that mission that we hold, we hold so dear. So we haven't lost that in this transition. I'd like to thank you, Alex, for coming in and uh, giving me some of your time and that you're a busy man, especially now. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your summer. Thanks so much. And uh, for Ryan the Triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones. First of all, I'd like to thank Alex Parker for coming on the show. Um, I have nothing but the utmost respect for uh, for Matthew Williams, for Matthew Williams, especially having the the guts to make the decision that he did to uh, to resign. Uh, so, I guess my question to you, Andrew, is now that Andrew, I mean, now that Alex Parker is our new our new SVP, um, do you think it's fair that he, we have um, him to represent us on that level when we didn't really, I mean, we didn't elect him as that position? Um, I I. I certainly wouldn't blame him for anything, and I don't want to say if his presidency is a failure. I say if it if it doesn't stand up to the expectations people had for Matt Williams, I wouldn't say it's his fault. I think that if there's any discontent about this, it's probably that going to be that people didn't know that in the Constitution it says that in the event of a resignation, it goes to the vice president, which obviously would make sense if it happened during the year. Right. But this is like two months after it, after he was elected, and it's in the summer. So, right. I think the the exact wording of the Constitution is that, um, in in that event, it goes to the executive president of the university, which is considered the student senate president, who was who was Alex Parker. Um, but I think that where people went wrong, or went, where things went wrong with this election process, is that uh, the students as a whole were not made aware that the student senate president was the successor to this. Um, so what do you think? I, I actually read an article in the technician about maybe introducing the concept of a, of a running mate and that person would serve as the vice president. And then it would be clear that that person would be the president in the event that the president couldn't fulfill his own duties. Um, I, I, I don't know. Maybe that could work, but I just have the feeling that, I mean, people are so unaware already of what the student body president actually does. Right. And I know there's a lot of skepticism about around when they're running, like, well, is any of this stuff actually going to happen? If they had a vice presidential candidate with them, I think people would just, I mean, (laughs) 
you, you have to like ask, how often do you expect this to happen? Do you think yeah. that these resignations are going to occur more and more yeah. often? The last time was 1983. Okay, that was quite. That was 30 yeah. years ago. So. so, yeah. So I mean, definitely something to, that just makes you ponder a little bit about the, the process of elections and how things could you know, potentially be better. Um, moving to our next story, NC State students are constantly doing really big things in this world. This week, Andrew got the privilege of interviewing Christina Hammock, an NC State alum who now works for NASA. We are sorry for the quality of the phone call. Please understand that Christina was calling from the island of Samoa. Uh, reception is a little weird over there. Well, I'm speaking to Christina Hammock, who is currently the NOAA station chief in American Samoa, she is a graduate of North Carolina State University, and she was also recently named a member of the 2013 NASA astronaut class. So, Christina, thank you very much for speaking to us. Thank you for having me. I want to start out by asking, because I know many of the people listening will have this as their first question. What was NC State like for you? What did you major in? What did you expect to do with your life? Did you ever suspect that it might lead you in this direction? Well... I actually never tried to put too many expectations on it, but it has always been my dream to be an astronaut. And when I went to NC State, um, I was able to double major in electrical engineering and physics, which was what I really wanted to do because it was a combination of some hands-on work as an engineer, but also the theory um, at doing the physics side. So. I really just wanted to have a little bit of both in my background and stay very general in terms of what I built up my skills in. So I really enjoyed my time at NC State. Um, both the College of Engineering and Physics was wonderful for me. I did some internships and did some scholarships through the, both colleges. So it was a great time. You said you, you'd always wanted to be an astronaut, and I'm sure there's you know quite a few people who could who could also say that, but it never came to fruition. Was there a time in college when you thought, well, maybe this could actually work out, or was it still always just a dream of yours that came closer later on? Well, I would say that I sort of, I did actively pursue my interest in the space program in college, um, but again, I, I sort of firmly believed that in order to be worthy of being an astronaut, it had to be something that you achieved based on following your own dreams, not by doing the things that sort of fill all the astronaut checkboxes. So I just had a passion for the space program, and so I did an internship at NASA while I was at State over the summer. I also did an internship um, in the astrophysics department at State, and I pursued a scholarship called the Astronaut Scholarship that's given by a former astronaut. So I was definitely working towards my, or working in the field that I loved, which is space, but again, I wasn't necessarily eyes on the prize of being an astronaut. That was just something I felt that later in my career, if I had built up the skills to be able to contribute to it, I would pursue. After graduating state, you, you majored in electrical engineering and physics, you said, and you were in the graduate program as well? Yep, I just took advantage of the great program that um, the ECE department had to do a five-year master's. And so I just, in five years, I got those three degrees, the two bachelors in uh, physics and electrical engineering, and then a master's in electrical engineering. Did you begin working for NOAA directly after that, or did you have an interim job, or how did you become station chief in America at oh. Samoa? 
I've had many, many interim jobs. That's part of the old uh, following your dreams thing. Um, my first job was at NASA as a space science instrument engineer, electrical engineer. And then I pursued my other dream of going to work in Antarctica. So my career sort of had two tracks. I've worked um, two different places full-time as an electrical engineer developing science instruments for space um, NASA's space science missions. One of them is on its way to Jupiter right now, and I've got three different missions that I've worked on um, Earth orbiting right now. Um, so that was in itself a dream come true. And then in between that work, I've worked in remote field regions like in Antarctica and, and Greenland and northern Alaska. And then that same work brought me to a remote station in American Samoa, which is very nice and tropical compared to the South Pole. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, did you specifically request to be stationed in somewhere warm <laughs> after working in Antarctica and in Greenland? <laughs> I, I actually did. I, I love the idea of, of going to Antarctica, um, but after doing it for many years and going back many times, it, it also sounded pretty good to live in a tropical island. <laughs> Were you specifically recruited based on your uh, previous work you had done there or did you just apply like everyone else i remember hearing about it a couple of years ago that they were just taking applications for the new class yep. did you just enter that way yep, absolutely i just entered like um any all the other 6300 people that put their resumes on usa jobs uh how soon did you did you receive an answer back it was a year and a half process with um three different stages the first stage was we um the, they whittled it down to a group that was asked to get a pilot physical and whose references were sent out forms. And then from there, it was whittled down to a group of 120. And we all, the 120 of us over the course of several weeks, groups of 10, went into Houston at Johnson Space Center for a three-day interview. And then the third and final stage was a seven-day interview. And at that point, it was whittled down to only 50 people. And um, that interview was very intense, a lot of medical testing and many other skills tests and um, interviews and group, group work as well. And then um, a few months after that, they made the calls, and I got my call on June 6th. Was it like the right stuff? Is it what everyone expects when they see, you know, <laughs> astronaut trials, or was it, was it what you expected? I, I would say that it was... I didn't have many expectations except that I knew there would be a lot of medical testing. And in terms of the whole right stuff thing, I would say that it catered more to what they've kind of termed the new right stuff, which is not necessarily the test pilot aspect of the Apollo missions right stuff, but people who have a really diverse background of skills and also have a demonstrated ability to work well with others and especially in small places on small teams and people who have experience with research, people who are adaptable, who can roll with the punches and things like that. So there was a lot of skills testing involving those types of right stuff things. Um, and then, of course, tons of medical testing. And I have seen the right stuff and even some of the tests that they had on there that seemed um, – pretty harsh we did actually do so it it was pretty intense but it was obviously worth it and it was a good challenge were there cuts along the way were, was there a much larger number of people in the beginning or did they have a small number and they knew well just based on references we can probably shape these people they yeah it was whittled down to the the very first cut it actually they whittled way back i believe 
the first cut with the references and the pilot's physical was already down to 400 people. And then the first interview, three-day interview, was 120 people, and the seven-day interview was 50 people. They just announced the class, like, last week, right? But uh, how did you have to keep it secret? Did you Were you able to tell people, or they said, well, just keep it on the down low until NASA says it officially? You're exactly right. We knew um, we were not allowed to tell people except for our supervisors and, you know, maybe one other person. So that was a very long 10 days, but it was also a, a needed 10 days to really adjust to the idea and I'm still not adjusted to it, and it's still very unbelievable. <laughs> but, well, what's next? Um, are You're still working in Samoa, right? Yep, I'm actually in Samoa right now, and I'm finishing up my last week of work, and then I'm going to be heading back to the mainland soon, and then we report to Johnson Space Center in Houston on August 12th. Do you know how much training you'll go through or what the next couple months will look like or when when you could even expect yep. your first mission? Well, how the timeline works is we train for two years doing the basic training that would then, if we pass, we would become eligible to receive an assignment. And then it can probably be several years until we received a mission assignment. And then there's more years of training between receiving an assignment and actually going to that mission. So the possibility of going into space is still many, many years off, and it's still just a possibility. And you all would be the first class of astronauts who would not uh, train with or have any opportunity to use the space shuttle. That's correct. Actually, the last class, the 2009 class, also um, probably they may have done some initial training with shuttle. I don't know for sure. But the shuttle was retired before any of them became flight eligible. Okay. So we're the second post-shuttle class, I would say. I think it does go back to... The fact that there's, um, you know, because we just are sending mainly people to work on experiments in the International Space Station at this point, you know, pilots and commanders aren't at this point um, able to actually fly a U.S. Um, spacecraft. But the U.S. is working on our next generation of spacecraft, so the, uh, that opportunity will come again in the future. And I know this is very far in the future, but they're saying that, that this class of astronauts will be the first one who sort of prepare for the asteroid landing. And yep. if maybe we go to Mars sometime in the 2030s or later, can you, can you tell us anything about that or is it just really all speculation at the point? I think that at this point I know as much as you do. <laughs> but I can tell you if someone assigned me to a, an asteroid mission, I would gladly do it. <laughs> <laughs> Christina, I just want to thank you so much for speaking to us. I know all of us at NC State only wish you the best of luck, and we're all very proud that you've made this achievement. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and um, I have a lot of huge debt of gratitude to all my professors and advisors at NC State. Everyone was always very encouraging, and um, I, there's no way that anything like this would have been possible without um, the support and encouragement of everyone throughout my time at state. So thank you. That was Christina Hammock, alumna of North Carolina State University, NOAA Station Chief in American Samoa, and a member of the newly named 2013 class of NASA astronauts. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Andrew Eichen. Our last story highlights the growing nonprofit drive here in Raleigh, starting with our university's nonprofit studies minor. DeAndre has more.
The nonprofit sector is definitely growing rapidly with our generation, and because Raleigh is one of the country's fastest growing cities, it is only suitable that the nonprofit local scene is spotlighted on Eye on the Triangle. This is the first of a series on Raleigh's nonprofits that I am hosting, and why not start with our own university? The nonprofit studies minor here at NCSU is nothing to be looked over, as is shown in the following interview. Hey guys, I'm here with Mindy Sofer, academic advisor and lecturer in the communications department. Mindy, how are you doing today? I'm great, DeAndre. I hope you are too. I am. And I'm also with Adley Sigmund, a student in the communications department. How are you doing? I'm great, DeAndre. Thank you. <laughs> These are both actually uh, people that I've gotten to know very well over the summer. So, um, Mindy, do you want to describe the nonprofit minor? I'd be happy to, DeAndre. The nonprofit minor was started a few years ago here at NC State to allow us to reach the mission of the university, particularly the extension mission that would be service to our um, state. Since we are a land-grant college, uh, we are bound to serve the people of the state of North Carolina. The nonprofit minor consists of four required courses and an alternate uh, elective. Each student must take the Intro to Nonprofits course, which is a political science course. I believe it's PS203. They also must take a History of Nonprofits course, obviously in the History Department, taught by Dr. Z. And they must take my class, the COM 466 Communication Nonprofit Leadership and Development class. Then they also have to take a capstone they must do an internship, and then they have that um, optional, it's not optional, I'm sorry, they have the elective course, and those are the courses that make up the minor. Many of our students are actively involved because it is a service learning course, doing service with nonprofit agencies in the Raleigh and Triangle community. That really adds depth and impact for students because they're learning and doing at the same time. I know that you teach the COM 466 class, which is the class that I took over the summer and Atley as well. Could you talk a little bit about the class, its purpose, and uh, why exactly you, oh, I don't know if you chose to teach it, but why you teach the class? No, I sure did choose to teach it. Dr. Jessica Jameson actually uh, was part of the inception of the class and created, the inception of the minor, and actually created the COM 466 class. We know that as leaders, communication is a critical skill and can cause success or uh, trouble and failure, no matter what the organization is. So the communication leadership and development class focuses on a variety of ways that leaders can, should, and may communicate with their followers, uh, talks about, and we learn about knowing ourselves, our own skills and abilities, how we work with other people, what motivates us. We also learn as leaders some pitfalls to avoid, ways that we can communicate what our vision is, creation of that vision, um, understanding of the mission of an agency. And then we look at the development piece, which talks about fundraising, fund development, and sustenance of the organization. We focus on mission methods and resources for agencies, and our students are committed to giving service hours to different agencies in the community. 
Folks do give those hours as part of a group, however, which is a unique thing uh, from the other service learning classes. As a leader, we must learn to work with other people in groups. So folks will do their project work with a nonprofit agency in the community, and then they'll also put together a professional presentation, both um, verbally to the class and then also in a report, a printed report format. We learn about development, the development aspect by doing fundraising activities, grant writing, and also um, the basic ask for other people to fund either through in-kind gifts or with cash donations. And students learn project management and uh, event planning through those kinds of activities as well. Um, the next question is for both of you. I'm going to ask uh, Atlee to answer first. Atlee, I, I know that as a student in this class, it's not it's not an easy class by far to do the same thing every day. Well, at least in the summer, to do this and to go and volunteer with a nonprofit, it takes like something has to be driving you. Some sort of passion has to be motivating you. So, what is yours? I would say, without a doubt, self improvement. Um, it's this class is an excellent opportunity, really, to get an amazing amount of information. Uh, in the leadership spectrum, and if you're interested in nonprofit, the internship gives you quite an opportunity to get some experience in that field. But uh, for me, the motivation was self-improvement, without a doubt. And uh, Mindy, the same question to you. What what motivates you to teach this class? I know it's not easy to manage so many different constituents at the same time. Thank you very much for understanding that. That really is the, the biggest challenge of the class is managing the different nonprofit partners and the groups working with them. Uh, what motivates me, I actually uh, asked Dr. Jameson when she said she could no longer teach the class if she would entrust me with it, and I, I treat the class like it's her baby, and she's literally given me her baby to continue to grow. Um, the privilege of serving the nonprofit agencies and the privilege of teaching the students in my class is uh, what motivates me the most. I'm also very passionate about um, how my own personal development has come about through uh, serving others. And I know that as we assess the needs of our community, uh, our students are making a critical and significant impact in making our community a better place to be. So when you see all those stars line up, we're meeting the mission of the institution. Our students are growing individually. They're giving to the community uh, it's a it's really a very nice package, and we try and have a lot of fun while we learn. But to see all those things line up is really quite magical. And uh, I truly, the passion is the enjoyment of seeing that all come together. So, um, Ali, how was the class from a student's perspective? Um, well, I mean, what was your take on it? Uh, it was certainly challenging, but not in a way that should be a deterrent to anybody, right? Uh, the challenge is in making sure you stay on top of things. And I think a lot of that was the pace of this course that it happened to be in summer school. Uh, I think being uh, a representative example of your nonprofit outside of the walls of their office is a critically important part of it. You have to maintain uh, a certain level of behavior, in all honesty, when you work with these groups because you are a representative example of what their organization is about and what they stand for um, and, you know, some some of the papers in the class are challenging, but it's really just about learning how to attack them and um, making it so that you actually can get a lot 
uh, out of those papers as far as knowledge gained from the class if you properly construct those things. This is for both of you. What is your favorite parts of the class? I know mine personally was uh, being surrounded by so many uh, great minds that have a passion for service and for improvement. So um, what would you say, uh, starting with Mindy, what, what would you guys say is your favorite part of the class? I agree with you. I learn, I think, more from the students than I do. Uh, they learn from me, but it's exciting. The class naturally draws dynamic uh, kind, um, interesting, and giving people. So watching them interact, get to know each other, and grow individually is really, really exciting. I also have to say that uh, the dynamic in the class comes uh, full circle when we do our final presentations and everybody gets all spiffed up and uh, really puts together what I consider to be some really nice and professional presentations, which I'm very proud as a 466-level class, you know, we're getting ready to graduate. So we want our folks to go out there and be good citizens and also be highly employable. So the professionalism that's uh, evident in their final presentations is really critical. We also have a a good time in class, uh, not just on the final presentation night, but we sure have a good time on what we call Big Food Night as we uh, eat and celebrate and present uh, everyone's findings and and resources and um, reports at the end of the semester. We also have some surprise guests, speakers. Um, we do a lot of reflection. There are no tests in the class. Some people really like that. And, uh, you know, we try and have a good time while we learn, which to me is pretty exciting too. Uh, for me, I think the most important thing to know about this class is there is not one thing that you learn in it that cannot translate into a career in the for-profit sector. All of what you learn in this class is somehow applicable in different fields, uh, whether it's raising money or asking for money or dealing with business deals. You know, all these nonprofits are still in some ways businesses and they have to have, you know, board meetings and they have to purchase products and sell products. And uh, I think a lot of what you learn in this class is more than you might get from other leadership classes or other nonprofit type classes just because it's so well put together that you really get the best of both of those worlds um, and are able to apply it to whatever field that you might be in. And this one may seem pretty basic, but is the class enriching and why do you think so? And we can start with Atlee for this one. The class is without a doubt enriching. Um, I came into this class. I'm, I'm about to graduate. I'll be done in August, fingers crossed. Uh, but um it is without a doubt enriching, and it's fun and enriching. And if you give it the proper amount of time, you're going to see a great return come back from it. I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm going to continue on with my internship that started in this class for the rest of the summer, and that is a direct result of being willing to work hard while you're there and being willing to learn and to ask questions and uh, not being afraid to ask difficult questions of people that you work with. They're there to help you. If they're not, they're not doing their job. What about you, Mindy? Is the class enriching, and why do you think so? Well, I already mentioned that I always learn a lot from it, but I have to say that the nonprofit partners in the community always say that they benefit from having our students there. 
um, that part of our students' role in the nonprofit is to help them focus on their mission and their performance and their capacity building. Um, our students are looking to build capacity in the agencies too, so it's a kind of a free consulting gig for the nonprofits from our students. Even though their perspective is limited, their um, awareness and ability to ask questions is broad. So I think that's really an important and critical component. And I appreciate, Atlee, what you said about transferable skills that are learned in the class. Uh, we enjoy having engineers and management people and uh, non uh, natural resources folks and design students. We've had some grad students in the class in a variety of different programs. Um, some math and scientists and biologists, uh, not all chess people. So the the um, breadth of interests of the students um, validates that there is uh, good skill building and that um, everybody can in some way, shape, or form uh, benefit from the class particularly because we're talking life skills here. And I hope that students who come to NC State realize that NC State is about service. Um, DeAndre, I noticed that there were a number of times in the class that you reflected on how things that we talked about in class could help you with your position in the inner residence hall council. And I, I think you're absolutely right. And they benefited from some of the skills that you have built through the class experience. Um, others have talked about how what we did in class has benefited their work. So we really try to make it applicable to everybody from wherever they're coming from. And the good part about that is our community benefits, too, and the nonprofits can gain a great deal, not only from the service, but uh, from the time and the insight that our students give. We do an impact report every semester. And just reflecting on this summer, um, I believe we were at an average of 22 hours given per student, even though they were only required to give 15 because students enjoyed it or wanted to work more for their agencies. And our average dollars raised because it is a development class. This semester averaged out at about $28 per student. If you do not count the grant that has not come in yet, that's a $71,000 grant that one of our students wrote. And if you do not count the uh, impact that was achieved through our students who were selling items or running a raffle uh, for two major events that two of our groups uh, sponsored. So if you count that income, you're going to add another $17,000 onto the impact that our students have helped with, uh, with the agencies in the community. So um, it's pretty broad and impactful and pretty exciting. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of value and I appreciate the time that both of you have given in the class, too. Thanks for asking us about it, DeAndre. Of course. Um, so that's all the questions that I have for you guys. Uh, for all, anyone listening at this moment, what drew me to the class, I um, am very interested in service. It's what I want to do for the rest of my life. But even if, I, even if that aspect wasn't there, I would still leave the class as a much better and more educated person than I did when I answered it. So COM 466 and the Nonprofit Studies Department in general, if you're interested, definitely a very enriching class to look into. And for Eye on the Triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones.
A really big shout out to Mindy Sofer. Uh, she's truly a wonderful woman, uh, a survivor of a uh, breast cancer, and a you know a really really great citizen and a great staff member on this university. So thank you so much for giving me some of your time. So we're gonna move into holidays of the week, um, a little segment that we like to talk about some little little bit of off holidays that come come and go. So today, um, in true North Carolina fashion, is National Catfish Day, and it's a the day to enjoy some tasty fried catfish, um, if you're into that. And it actually is, it's a truly national day. It was declared on June 25th, 1987, by President Ronald Reagan. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it was a uh, proclamation with the words, more and more Americans are discovering a unique American food delicacy, a farm-raised catfish. So, I guess <laughs> that, that hits home for me, at least. Cat, catfish is good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I know people who don't eat it, but I mean, they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can say. So, um, Wednesday, uh, June 26th is, uh, forgiveness day and global forgiveness day. However, is held on August 27th. So there you go. But uh, forgiveness day, it's, it's a time to forgive and to be forgiven. And the world is supposed to be a better place for this day. I think it's good to have multiple forgiveness days. Yeah, um, actually, uh, the Jewish celebration of Yom Kippur is a day of atonement or forgiving. So, mm-hmm. you know, and in uh, Christian religions, the first Sunday before Lent, it's called Forgiveness Sunday. So there's like apparently at least five or six. But, you know, I guess we can only benefit from it. Uh, June 28th, Paul Bunyan Day. So uh, interestingly, interestingly enough, Paul Bunyan is of French origin. I, I probably could have called that. It's such a strange legend that <laughs> only the French could be behind it. Yeah, he is credited, quote unquote, with many deeds. Uh, created logging <laughs> in the U.S. Uh, scooped out the Great Lakes to uh, water babe his ox. His blue ox. Yeah, his giant <laughs> blue ox. Uh, <laughs> he cleared the entire states of North and South Dakota for farming solely for that. Um, he trained ants to do logging work. Uh, and they were, of course, carpenter ants. And... Uh, Babe's large footprints are what created Minnesota's ten thousand lakes. So, believe it or not, believe it or not, uh, but yeah, he did. Um, he did actually um, originate uh, during the Papua New Rebellion in of eighteen thirty seven in Canada. So, uh, June 29th is the Hug Holiday Day. Um, hug Holiday Day. That's what it's called. Um, encourages people to give hugs to those who need them. So, if you see someone down, looking a little sad, uh, don't approach them for a hug because that's weird. But <laughs> I would <laughs> go to friends. <laughs> uh, so July 1st, uh, Monday, is International Joke Day. So, I mean, and I just threw this one in here because I think it's a little, little bit more lighthearted. And I think that jokes are literally almost always a good thing. Yeah, I, I, we should have more joke days, too. <laughs> On air. Joke days and forgiveness days. <laughs> so um, lastly, July 2nd, a week from now is I Forgot Day. Um, and it's a day, <laughs> it is a day not to remember. Literally, that's the description of it. Um, so, I, I mean, I think this this is just made by a bunch of people that are like, yeah, um, we're just really forgetful, so we want a day to, uh, to commemorate us. <laughs> um, so, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to forget I Forgot Day. Hey, yo. Yeah, probably. So, um, and that is all we've got for tonight. Um, that just about wraps up all we got for you guys this week. A big thanks to Mindy Sofer and Atlee Sigmund for their time. 
And from all of us here at Eye on the Triangle, we thank you for tuning in. We'd also like to thank Matthew Williams, Alex Parker, and Christina Hannock for taking the time to help us with the show. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org. And a quick reminder that Eye on the Triangle is running bi-weekly over the summer. So until July 8th, good night.